Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I love your podcast. This is gold. This is where it's at. What up, podcast fam? Happy Monday. Hope you all had an amazing, amazing weekend. Today, my guest is Dave LeBlanc. Dave's a close friend, professional drummer, came on the show about a year ago, just as his career was really taking off, getting amazing gigs. One year later, COVID happened, you know, literally went from being on top to being forced to navigate during this crazy time, as many of us are and have been forced to do so. It was great to catch up with him, dive into how he's navigated during this time, how he's remained optimistic, and how he's really pushed forward. Really interesting episode. Dive into some grief stuff as well. So with that, hope you enjoy the episode. So it's been about a year since you've been on the show. Yeah, and I really enjoyed it last time, and I think it was pretty successful. I know a lot of people like hit me up, and they were like, I loved it you know, it's an awesome thing that he's doing and you sounded great. Like, so I was really grateful to be on that, Danny. Thank you. That was really cool, man. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. You have a great story. So last year has been a crazy one, right? It has, it has, you know, everyone has their own crazy story with COVID, but I want to give a shout out to the people where it's definitely harder (laughs) (laughs) and we're out there, you know? So there's a little bit of this specifically around COVID, right? And it's it's become so long now that it's been going on and musicians have been out of work that there's this like, oh, it's been a tough year. And the immediate response is, well, yeah, I mean, yeah, you know, it's been tough for everyone. Right? And it's like, no, 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 hold on, hold on. Are restaurants, musicians, you know, people in the entertainment business, the live entertainment business, wait staff, you know, performers, comedians, our income was at X and it went from X to zero. X to zero, right? So it was varying degrees of, of income went from that level to zero, right? So yeah, it's been a really intense, intense year. <laughs> I don't mean to disparage other people that have had adversity this year because there is, you know, in their very real sense. But you know what I'm saying? Like your whole life is like uprooted. You go from making X to zero. Yeah, and it's like that in grief too. Like this this year's been a lot like when you first like lose a parent. It's like nobody would be like, well, you know, you know, it's like how you been? Well, it's been really tough. Like, yeah, well, you know, my other friend, his dad died. So, you know, <laughs> tough on him too. You know, like, like no, like, so. <laughs> yeah. You're but. probably like, no shit. It's been a tough year. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's crazy too. And we won't get into so much of the politics around all of it, but maybe you can just speak to it a little bit because it is interesting. And I hope the people that do tune into this, I feel a lot of people who are so fast to judge around restaurants, entertainment, and all that, they're like still living their life where they're making their money and their income didn't go from X to even Y in a, in a downgrade. It went from, you know, where you're saying go, went from X to zero, not for a week, not for two weeks, not for a month, you know? So 
I mean, I'm curious, what would you share with those people who are like, oh, you know, like, of course you have to be closed because that's for the greater good. I don't know. I feel like a lot of people who are so fast to share their opinion around restaurant, entertainment, all that. Yeah, they're buying houses because they're banking cash and they're like not going into the office and like, yeah, in in some ways their lives, their lifestyles have improved. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, people have more convenience. I mean, the stock market keeps going up. So I just think it's it's such a weird thing where people have such strong opinions. And it's like, well, do you know anyone who works in the restaurant industry? Because it was funny. I went to get a coffee. This is like when they announced that dining in New York City was going to close down again. And I went to get a coffee one morning. And I asked the guy working there, like, how are you doing? Just being friendly, you know, like, what's going on? How's it going? And his response was grateful to be at work. And it was just funny hearing that because literally the night before I was out with Emily, my fiance, and we were at a friend's and she was saying, it's so bad. These people are forced to work. They're at risk of getting COVID. And I'm like, no, like anyone who's working in the industry wants to work. They are not like sitting at home. If they are immune compromised, yeah, of course, like maybe they're not going to put their life on the line to go to work. But majority of people are like, I would like to go to work today to provide for myself, my family, whatever it may be. But it was just an interesting little response. Yeah, I, I think that everyone has their own responses to what's happening, right? I mean, a lot of people, unfortunately, have died, which is the worst, you know, above all, like the economics of it are like not getting to graduate or not getting to perform somewhere. Like, obviously, like loss of life. We talk about this a lot. It's like, that's the ultimate, you know, or loss of a loved one due to COVID, you know, that's really, it's really fucked up, you know, it's really fucked up. So everyone has their own reaction to it, right? I think people mean well, but yeah, by and large, I agree with what you're saying. I wouldn't say that I think that every person that is well off and then saying there should be no live concerts or restaurants are bad. I think they they have good intentions. And I do understand the idea of like, well, let the music venue decide for itself. And like, honestly, I'll leave that alone. I don't know. I don't, I don't want to, I don't know. You know what I mean? Like that's a really tricky, tricky one. I don't have a fiery opinion about that. It's sort of like, I try to look at life like, okay, like this was sort of meant to like, I, how do I react? Like I can't play music venues. Like this guy at the coffee shop. He can't go to the coffee shop anymore. Right. That just for whatever reason, like the forces of the universe have made this so. How do I react, right? So it's interesting, like you talk about Emily's friend at dinner, like even somebody who's been affected, I wouldn't even really bring it up in that way. So it's interesting to hear people people like going out out of their way to be worried about this person has to go to, it's like, to me, there's something else there. It's Cause like, I, I just don't, you know, like, what does that even mean? Like the guy's going to work. Of course he wants to go to work, like make money. Like, but there is a concern of like, you can't have dining open. And I, I, I don't know, man, it's, it's tough. You know, it's tough. I definitely had some feelings of like, boy, you know, you could see that Nashville was kind of open a little, like people were like in music venues on Instagram, like singing and playing in Nashville, no masks, like over the summer and like in the fall. And I, and I, I remember thinking like, hmm, you know, like in Florida too, like these different, so, you know, it does make you think like on the one hand, I'm like a little frustrated because I'm like, Hey, like we need to all be on the same page here. On the other hand, I'm a little frustrated at like my local government being like, do we like, could we be a little open? Like, could Hill Country be open like a little bit? Like, so I don't know. That's like my take on that from the rules and regulations standpoint of it. But I think it's too general of a statement. 
to be like, oh, the people that are fine are judging. But I think you're not wrong. I think there is some of that happening there. It's like it's like people are fine and they're like, for the health and safety, you need to stay home and not do your dream job. <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh, okay. <laughs> but I don't know. It's like they're not wrong. I, I, I think that unfortunately they're not wrong. And, and I hope that if someday – whatever they love to do was bad for a pandemic. And I was saying, Hey, don't do it. You know, I hope they would. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know. It's, it's just definitely weird. Probably people are going to message me if they listen to this and be like, Oh, you went, you went there. You tried to talk about COVID. It's such a sensitive topic. So last time you were on the show, I guess we were, we were like already at the, be- it was more at the beginning of COVID, right? Yeah, it wasn't even like a thing yet. It was like the second week of the shutdown. The time that we talked, it was like a temporary shutdown. Yeah, like stay inside for two weeks and it will all be good. Yeah. But it's interesting because we talked adversity mainly with around grief. And you caught me in a year that was like equal to nothing I've experienced grief-wise except my dad, right? So it's interesting. Yeah, so what's it like? Like I feel... When you came on the show last, your career was just on the up and up. Like you were hitting all these amazing strides up to you coming on the show. You were hitting all these amazing strides in your career. Opportunities were really starting to present themselves, you know, to you that you were tackling. And I feel like you were playing all these incredible gigs and there was just so much energy behind you. And obviously, so COVID happened. What's that like to navigate this last year? Um, It's been really hard. It's been really hard. It's definitely very similar to grief stages. You know, you have you have periods of like gratefulness for for certain pieces of your life and then and then frustration and then anger. It's been, you know, I definitely vacillate between like I'm going to get through this. It's going to make me a better man and a better person and a better human and a better musician. And then I have other times where I'm like this is not fucking fair. What the fuck? <laughs> like this is sucks. <laughs> so, I think that that is what is sort of been the road for me i was doing like 250 gigs a year right i mean you think about that right like 250 days out of a 365 day calendar year i was playing a gig i was fortunate enough to make make a living playing music with people that are awesome that i love in an amazing city so there was so much to process around the screeching halt of life and the music business, and my career, and the fact that it was on an upward trajectory right before the shutdown. It's been a ton to process, but like, luckily I've been able to stay busy, which has been really good. And I've like learned a ton, obviously, of like new things that I never would have learned. My biggest fear, dude, honestly, my biggest fear was that I was going to like, it's so funny, like I had this fear that I was going to lose, like lose my ability. Like if I didn't play drums for a month, Pre-COVID, dude, to not play the drum set for a month, in my mind, that would be equal to quitting forever. Like, that was equatable to quitting forever. You know, like, in my mind, I'm like, I could never do that. I would fall apart. And in a really beautiful way, like, I've I've grown as a drummer. I've gotten more skillful and, and I feel more confident behind my instrument than pre-COVID. And I've taken a ton of intermittent breaks of not playing just because of the nature of the situation. And I actually feel like I'm, I've improved. That's, <laughs> the that's awesome. So yes, while yes, like there were these forces that were working resume wise and experience wise in the gigging world, this year has forced me to be like, 
that and my like ability and gift and like joy of music are separate. Like they are separate because I can still play music. Right. And like, I can get those other things back. That's like maybe my by and large feeling. Certainly there are moments where I'm like really depressed and really sad, you know, really sad. Like we talk about, it's like, I, I don't stay there for too long. You know what I mean? It's like, you know, I have my, Andy got me this, my nice. four minute journal, you know, write your gratitude every morning type of thing, you know, good stuff. I have a two minute one. That's awesome. You commit more time. <laughs> I mean, I think it probably takes me two minutes. I have a, a regular journal too. Oh, so that's, I guess something I would mention is, you know, I guess I want to say, I'll say this. I'm proud of myself. Like, you're right. I was doing it. Career was blowing up. Things were going really well. But I think that through help with family and friends, I've been able to really handle this situation as best as possible. I've been journaling like crazy. Right when everything started, I started journaling. I picked up a meditation practice. I got a job. I got a great job. I'm like learning a ton of stuff in this job that's like beneficial. I want to dive into that because something that I love that, and I remember when we were together over the summer, you know, you were trying to figure out if I take a job because financially it makes sense, does that make me less of a musician or do I not take the job to really just solely focus on being a musician, things will get better sooner rather than later. And I remember you having like a lot of, I want to say from the conversation, you put a lot of identity of like who you are to the job. And obviously you ended up taking a job and you're, you know, working, it's full-time now, right? Yeah. Full-time from the beginning, actually. Okay. So you're working. You're right. It may go part-time in the future, maybe. Okay. So you're working this full-time job. What I love about it is I feel a lot of people today have this idea, especially, and this it's just funny, I was telling you this before we started recording, a lot of young people like fresh out of school or in their early 20s have this idea of like, this is what my career will look like, or this is what I'm going to do post-college, or this is what I want to go and do. And they say it so like definitively, like, this is my plan, this is my path, and I'm committed to seeing this through. But, you know, obviously in your case, this was such a forced position or card that you had to take because of the circumstances with COVID. But like sometimes option A just isn't on the table. And you know, not to quote the book option B, but you you have to kick the shit out of option B and make the best of the cards that you have available to you. So I don't know. I, I love how like, dude, you're a professional drummer, but you were willing to like let go of ego or whatever attached to that and say, fuck it, I'm going to go and do this job because financially it makes sense. And I'm still a professional drummer and that's still the path I'm going to pursue. But this is just sort of like a peak or a valley that you have to take or this dip down. And maybe it's not even a dip down at all. It's just sort of the the path you're on. Yeah, I definitely wrestled with that, you know, and that was part of the grieving. There was like an identity thing of like, what's my identity? And there was already that there before I went and got my, you know, I was fortunate to get this, this job with our mutual friend, Andy Blackman from camp. And it was tough because I, I definitely, you know, there's ego wrapped in there. And there's like, I remember you and I, we, we were on the boardwalk. We were talking about like, well, if I can, if I'm going to sell for a, a company, why don't I sell for me and sell drum lessons or like use this time? You know, there was this like, let me use this time to just like practice. You know, we were talking about like live at home and just practice all day. And like you, you, you said something super interesting to me that stuck with me. You were like, you come out the other side of this, like a different drummer. Like you come out the other side of this, like 
instead of doing other things, you come out the other side of this and you're like the best, like you've ever been. Like you're like, you get 10 years ahead of your advancement in, in one year. Right. And that really stuck with me. And it was like a really profound statement. I don't know why I ultimately went the way that I went, whether it was out of habit or like just necessity, but I went to business school, you know, for undergraduate, I didn't go to music school and I did a sales job at us right out of school. So you talk about like that option A, option B thing. I sort of started on option B in a sense, because I was like, well, you know, gigs are at night. So I can like do sales stuff during the day, go out at night and do gigs. So I had this experience and I had this sort of backup plan. And, you know, it's funny. They say to get a backup plan. Some people, some, some of the advice is like, if you have a backup plan, you use it. And other advice is like, get a backup plan in case you need it. Well, I don't know. There's no one size fits all, but it's certainly worked, you know, worked out in this case. You know, I'm 30 years old. There's a global pandemic that completely shuts down my industry. I go from being highly employable in a very competitive industry and very fortunate to have a lot of opportunities to having zero opportunities through no fault of my own. <laughs> and I was able to spin that into another position. And and not everyone has that ability. And, and that's why there's been other things going on for musicians. And I, I was fortunate to have some of that come my way. And I think that it that should be there too. I happen to have the opportunity and like the skill set to do that. Um, and I And I chose to do it you know, a lot of it was just for something to do, you know, some purpose. And I've really enjoyed that, you know, like something to do. And what I've learned the most is like, I'm just like learning a lot, you know, I'm like, I'm learning a lot about myself and I'm still practicing a ton and I'm, I'm learning guitar. I'm, I'm getting like pretty good at guitar. So I have plenty of time. It's not like, you know, I, one of the things I was worried about is like, well, it'll, it'll take up some of my time, but like I have plenty of time. So both from a financial standpoint, it's been a blessing for like saving for the future and preparing for to reopen my business. Cause like I plan to have to reopen my business. You know, like I, I know that I'm not starting from scratch again and I know that gigs are going to come back and I, and, you know, but like in some ways it will be starting over, you know, it's not going to go right back to 250 gigs a year. It's not going to just go back. You know, it's going to, it's going to be a ramp period and a transition again. And, and I'm preparing for that. Yeah. I'm rewatching this show, 30 Rock. It's one of my favorite shows. It's hilarious. And um, Alec Baldwin's character gets fired and he comes back to the to the gig and they put him in the mailroom. And and like within a day, he gets promoted from mailroom <laughs> clerk to like the head of mail. And he's like, he's like he, he jokes that he's like, he's like, it took me 25 years to get to the top. He's like, I could probably do it again in seven, you know? Like yeah. knowing what, I, and, and I'm not insinuating that I was like at some proverbial top, but like I often think like, well, it took me about four or five years to like launch my business the first time. Like I could probably do it again in two, you know, like like yeah, well, what I know now. <laughs> I think that makes sense because you have more experience, better network, more knowledge, better skill set. Like you should be able to like even when I think through the lens of like business and what I do, I'm like, cool. If I started a new business, knowing what I know now. I'm sure I'd make other mistakes, but you know, I'd be able to get back to the same level relatively quickly. Yeah. And that sort of mindset, the reason I mentioned is I'm also not afraid to like, I, I almost, and you probably feel the same way. I'm like, yeah, that's fine. Like, let's just, let's do it. I got it. You know what I mean? That sort of ties into going into this other business opportunity to work because that's sort of how I did it before. Like I, I use the sales job to fund my, passion and my dream, turn my dream into reality, making a living at it. 
pandemic, unfortunate. And I just sort of feel like I can already see how it's like kind of repeating itself. It's going to be like sales job again, good opportunity, save up some cash, learn some things, invest in my business, relaunch it, you know? (laughs) I bet it feels nice though to have money coming in. Oh yeah. (laughs) It's funny because also I feel like I talk to a lot of people. I'm still very involved in Syracuse. So I constantly am speaking to like people who are still students, either like early 20s or still friendly with a lot of people who are in their like mid 20s. And I feel like, I don't know, it's funny because I really feel like and I've spoken about this before on the podcast, but I feel like typically when people finish school, they're very bullish in two ways. They either have like no clue what they want to do and they're just like a lost soul or they're like so certain that they know exactly what they want to do and they pursue it, whether it be because like they had a mentor, a parent, a family friend who did that. And that's the path they chose without really ever diving into it and figuring out if that's really the path they want to go down. And then all of a sudden they're living their life, you know, as a result of, I don't know, other people's opinions or suggestions on what path they should go. I always say like, regardless, it's good to do something and make some money because it feels good to have, I mean, that money, you know, once you do figure out what you want to do, or in your case, you have a dream to pursue, it's good to have that like piggy bank to lean on. Yeah, and when you're a freelance musician running, you're running your own shop. Even when you have some piggy bank in there, when the clock's ticking on and it's all on you, you definitely feel the pressure, anxiety, a little anxiety of like, I don't, I don't really know where my next gig is coming from, where my next paycheck is coming from. So I've been very fortunate because I'm staying, I'm able to live with family right now, which is, you know, I can speak to. It's like kind of part of the adversity and like the learning. So between that and then the regular paycheck, it is, it has been, I've been very fortunate for that. And it has been nice. It's been a different mindset. You know, I was out, I was like out in the world the other day and I, like, I wanted to buy some things and I just had no stress. I was like, yeah, buy it. Oh, that audiobook, buy it. Like, cool. Cause I'm just like, I'm not worried about it, you know? And like, that's, that's a nice feeling. And I like to bring some of that into my 2.0. Dave 2.0. You know, I, 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 I want to bring some of that and I plan to some of that mindset and, and whatnot. But yeah. And I felt that way too. Like you said about the kids rush out of school. Like I could have taken a whole year off. I could have taken a whole year and, and like off, like I was on unemployment for six months. I could have stayed on it. It was less money than it was initially. I could have done, I mean a year in the grand scheme of things, a year. I was a professional. It's not like, it wasn't like I'm kidding myself and I'm like using this as an excuse to not work. I really was working. I was in the industry kicking butt. I could have taken a year. I'm not saying that it's like, look at me. It's like amazing that what I did, but I'm like, what you were saying is like, well, just get out there and work. Like, let's might as well, you know what I mean? Like might as well make some money and work. And yeah. I mean, like you said, I personally feel like it always feels good to know that like to not have to stress about like eating a meal or buying that audio book or et cetera. And, and specifically around this opportunity, I've been really fortunate because Andy is supportive of music. You know, there isn't a ton of gigs right now, but anytime there is, I'm, I'm allowed to take the day off and go do it. And like, there's no questions asked. Like he's so supportive of me doing music now when it comes up. And then even when it's really back, like the transition back out of his company into my own business as a musician, he's been super supportive of. And my first job was like that too. So you know, I would say that to any kid out there, like I know you speak to kids or like kids out of school, you'd be surprised like at how understanding people are these days about that stuff. Like 
dude i cannot agree more days it's like people a lot like more and more people are running their own businesses they need talented hardworking people and like they almost having a dream rather than dequalifying you like oh he wants to do something else or she wants to do something else it's like oh wow they want to do something else like cool you can like use it as an incentive as a carrot and i I mean i i work it into the like out like i have like different you know like i've experienced that you'd be surprised you know yeah amen i mean i think i think there's a lot of comp there's a lot of companies both medium-sized small and even big where i think through covid like companies like go people they'd be happy to bring someone on for half of what they paid someone else you know to for you to do maybe some part-time work to help them out to achieve their goals while you're pursuing you know your dream or whatever your own business whatever it may be i think there's a lot of opportunity for people to create their own job or their own you know their own opportunity within an existing company etc i think you know obviously some companies or some owners of businesses won't be receptive to that but i do think there's plenty of people who are like oh that's that's awesome you have this dream i want to support you this is what i'm looking for help with and you know you can work with me part time or full time until you achieve xyz and then you could be on like your way and this could be a little you know a little moment in in your journey yeah i i was just trying to think of i can't remember what movie it was it's not in the fighter does he in the fighter does he have another job no he trains well he he worked he worked like in um not construction but like maybe for like the he was part of like a union working on like the streets the pavement things like that yeah i i referenced that because i just love i know you love boxing movies and i love that movie and I, i was thinking about it the other day but i've always had this balance of like yeah chase your dream but it's not entitled to you like and i've always felt like you have to put the work in and there's a lot of different places where that needs to happen and like if you have to work a sales job or a marketing job or a tech job or like a developer job or you know or you whatever you do it's like no duh to me it's not like oh sh- oh shucks it's like no duh like duh <laughs> like you think like and then this is me talking to me like what do you think you can just like waltz out here and just like make this shit happen. Like, no, it's going to take 10, 15 years. You're going to have to go back to other jobs and there's going to be pandemics. And like, like, come on, man. Like at this point now I've spent more time as a professional salesperson than a drummer. I mean, it's like five and four years now at this point. And I'm cool with that. I know it's a long life, man. I know I I would rather, you know, I want to get that other thing out of the way now, you know, that learning and that bruises on your knee and, you know, and again, it's not like the pandemic was my fault, but I can, but I can still learn from it that way. Like I can still look at it that way and learn from it, you know? So just speaking to the adversity of it that you asked earlier, like, yeah, like I am finding ways that I can just not only like learn more about myself and improve, but actually make my station better when it's over. Like actually have a, like a noticeably better station when this is over from like Mm. January, 2019 to January, 2022 to be like, holy crap. That's the same guy. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like what happened to create this that. guy? It's like, oh, there was a global pandemic and he lost all of his gigs and he had to live with his parents. And like, oh, well, it was worth it. Like, you know what I mean? I want I want like January 2022 to be like, well, whatever, it was worth it. Because look, look at how great this is, you know? Life, relationship, yeah. body, career, finance, like, you know what I mean? And why not use this as an opportunity to make that a reality? Dave 2.0, baby. I found it funny on LinkedIn, like kind of in the middle of it, a lot of people started posting, like if I see one more post about like 
this is the time to improve you. I'm going to lose it. But even though we are in like a global pandemic, like I think that the pandemic sparked a lot of people to take a step back and be like, cool, I have all this. This is my life. What do I really want to do with it? You know, I have all this time. And I found it funny to see people saying like, you can't use this bad experience, you know, as like the global pandemic. You can't use this experience that is impacting so many people in a negative way as an excuse or the tool to like go and make yourself better. You know, I think there are so sure there's there's tons of stories of people who have died, etc. Um, and people who have had a tough battle with COVID. But like one of my best friends literally was obese, overworked, like loved work. And he lost over he lost like over 100 pounds. He's literally a new human today. And he decided to like turn his entire life around where his emphasis was work, work, work. And he obviously liked food like that was like his drug of choice. But now he's like living an entirely new life, lost all this weight. And it's like COVID was the tool. COVID was the thing that enabled him to like take a step back and be like, what the fuck am I doing with my life? I I need to treat my body better. And now he's like a new human. Like how how cool right. is that? I mean, dude, let's be clear, right? The virus is fucked up. Like it's fucked up that it happened. It's fucked up that it's taxing hospital workers and first responders are working overtime and, and in some cases getting sick and dying. It's fucked up that people are sick and dying. It's it's fucked up, right? Let's be clear about that. I think that that post on LinkedIn is is a bit like misguided. Like they're saying like, oh, stop saying like I'm using this time to better myself. It's like maybe if they meet, I don't, I don't know what they mean by that because what else are you supposed to do with adversity? I mean, that's the whole point, right? Like how do we get through this? I mean- that's suffering, right? We gotta, we gotta suffer. We might as well use it, right? I mean, look what you've been through, right? With your mom and your dad, like, yeah, you know, don't you think you're actually a better version of yourself since their deaths? Yeah. So, absolutely, Danny 2.0 or Danny 3.0. So, can somebody then say that you use that as an opportunity to make yourself better? Look at this. What have you used as an opportunity to make yourself worse? What if because of that, you became a worse human? <laughs> and how would that too, LinkedIn you know? post look at you then? You know what I mean? Like that's, that's, that's my pushback on it. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's funny. Like adversity, I guess really can either break you or make you so much, so much stronger. So a couple of weeks ago, I think I was like up late at night and I was trying to go to sleep. My mind was racing. I want to read this because this sort of goes off what we're talking about right now. So I, my mind was racing and I was thinking about death and how I'm grateful to understand and be so close with death. Anyways, I want to share this and then we could talk about it if that's cool. I'm grateful to understand how real death is, how it's not get old and die. Sure, that's how it's supposed to be, but that isn't how it always is. You and I know that well, but death, in my opinion, is one of the greatest teachers. It really is. Whenever I think about my life and how I'm spending my time, the easiest pulse check is if I imagine that I'm to die in 10 years, 10 years left to live. How would I spend my time? What would I do differently? What would I commit to today on a daily basis, a weekly basis, a monthly basis? If you want to go even deeper, don't think about yourself. Think about your loved ones. Imagine if they only had 10 years left to live. What would you do differently with them? Would the little things bother you less? Would there be more trips and experiences or adventures that you'd make happen? Would there be time in the day that you would commit to with that person? Thinking about that is so beyond powerful. 
And in some ways, I'm terrified to die. Yet in other ways, I'm so thankful to understand that death is a guarantee, but the timeline is just an unknown. No one knows. Yet whenever I think of my life through this lens of death, I always have new lessons. There's a new teacher that shows me things that I need to change in my life or places or space I need to commit time to because it brings me too much joy to not commit that time or the things that I just shouldn't let bother me so much because they're just silly. Is there any teacher that's better than death and loss? No. And then like, it's like the <laughs> no. ultimate ending. Stakes are so high. Did you write that? Yeah, I texted you that. But did you write it? Oh, yeah. I was just like, I don't know. I was probably in bed and staring at my phone. Probably shouldn't have been doing that. And uh, it was probably like late at night and maybe I was feeling some feelings. And I do think like even as I read that, I'm sitting here and I'm like, damn, if I only had 10 years left to live, I would even right now. I'm like, I would do things differently. Like if I knew, you know, if I knew that I would make some changes in my life. And then it becomes a conversation in my head. Like, well, why am I not making those changes? Like, I don't know. Like, for all I know, my timeline is less than 10 years. You know, I hope not. But like, why am I not committing to those changes? And I think at which point you called me the next day, you called me like later that day. And you you were saying how like, you feel that it's not really about looking at your life through the lens of death, but it's really about being super mindful around like the time that you have on this earth. Then for the next few days, I was like so mindful. If I was eating dinner, like phone was in a different room and I was like, I'm going to be present everywhere I go. And now it's been a couple of weeks. So, you know, maybe went back to some old habits, but now that we're talking about, I'm like, shit, like I feel like you hit the nail on the head when you were telling me like if you knew that you had 10 years left to live, you'd be so mindful with all you do. That's right. Because because I think about that statement that you were making. It's true, but it doesn't mean to me at this time in my life, it doesn't mean to me like to go skydiving and Rocky Mountain climbing like Tim McGraw. You know what I mean? Like I, I don't like to climb the rock. Why would I go do that? I don't like, you know what I mean? Like I think it's a little cliche and it's a little bit of a, an idea that makes it less real. It's like, oh, like if you had 10 years to live, what would you do? And then you list some shit that you don't even do anyway. It's like, you're not actually dealing with it. Whereas you're like, what would you do? It's like, I would actually sit with my mom and put my phone in the other room and like ask her what show she wants to watch. And like, whatever she says, I'll watch it with her and enjoy it. And then like, when she says, good night, I love you. I will actually like turn and be like, good night, mom. I love you. You know what I mean? Like that. Yeah. And I bring that up because I know- Truly, that specific example, how close that hits to home for you, right? And that makes it so tangible in that sense. And I think that if you knew you had 10 years left to live, you know, it's like, yeah, it might make you think like, okay, well, like, let me quit my business or like, let me try a whole different business or that dream I wanted because I only got 10 years, might as well like shoot my shot, right? (laughs) Over the summer, we were reading, um, this is after our last interview, my dad had his 20th anniversary of his death. So two times as long as I've been alive, he's been dead now. So I've been on the earth 20 years longer than I was with him for 10. Now I've been here for 20. And it was a really emotional week. We read through a bunch of letters that were written. We went through a ton of photos. Like we spent like a ton of time grieving that week, the family, like me, my mom and my sister and me specifically. And even the day of his death, the anniversary, I actually turned my phone off. I spent the whole day without my phone. 
And it was super powerful. It was really cool to be like present with my family and my grief and my thoughts and like just the magnitude of like 20 years. My dad's been dead. Wow. But what I'm getting at is one of the pieces we read, artifacts, if you will, of my dad, were these emails. And this is year 2000. So emails were new-ish, I think, right? I mean, the idea of like email chains were sort of new. I mean, they've been around, but the year 2000. So we had all of these printed emails from business colleagues of his, right? Talking about how great of a guy he is, people he sold to, he worked with customers of his, people within his industry, people within his company, writing to him, how grateful they were to work with him, how like he brought a smile to his face, like people that he worked with, worked with at his job, right? Now, like, was this his dream job? Probably not. Like the idea that you would like find out you have 10 years left to live, you'd quit your job and like not go in and like, you know, this whole thing. But it's like, here I am 20 years after my dad's death, reading letters from his colleagues to him that they wrote when they knew he was going to die. It's like he got cancer and still went into work every day. And he like still raised his kids and he like still went to soccer practice. Like he was present. You know what I mean? He was still a dad. Like, I don't know if I would change much. You know, I would really dial in. You know what I mean? I would dial in on work calls, right? Yeah. Like, it's so funny because the way that you say mindfulness when we spoke about it was like totally different than the way that I would normally think about mindfulness. Like, mindfulness to me normally is like, or being mindful is like meditating and sitting with your thoughts. Whereas, like, I feel like the powerful teacher is just being present, like being mindful about actually being present like and that's the teacher of death right and and that's why your point is correct that is there no more powerful teacher than loss and death and the answer is no because under the assumption that i know for a fact i have five years left to live i am altering my life i'm not altering it in the physical form but spiritually i'm altering it and that lesson has taught me to really be present and enjoy and that might not be my my five years. Maybe it's a family member's five years, right? I mean, let's ask you, when you found out your mom, you know, was sick, how did you change? Because your life changed, right? How did your life change in that time? That's a tough question. Well, your life changes immediately, you know? Like, my life changed immediately. Like, the life that I was living then, the way I sort of think of it is, like, I was just getting back on my two feet from losing my dad. Like, it was. it's been five years or we were coming up on the five-year anniversary, death anniversary, I want to say. So I went to experience camps in Georgia. And when I was there, I drove home from Georgia back to New York with a buddy of mine that I hadn't seen for a while. And we like reconnected through camp. And (laughs) it's funny when I think back to it, like it was so nice to connect with one of my best childhood friends who lost his dad young. I recruited him to camp. We made like a whole road trip of it, drove down from New York to North Carolina to Charleston to Georgia. We hit all these like barbecue spots. Like we made a whole trip of it. And this is like my best childhood friend growing up. He lost his dad when we were like maybe 12, maybe he, and he's a little bit younger than me. That was actually like probably one of the, because I was always spending so much time at this kid's house, like losing his dad, it was a big shocker to me in my life at that point, you know? So anyways, like I recruited one of my best childhood friends and we were less connected over the years when we were like in college and in college, really not high school. I thought it was like such an, a beautiful trip in so many ways. Cause 
here's like my best childhood friend. He lost his dad young. I lost my dad. We never really spoke about it. And now all of a sudden, like we're sitting in this car driving down to experience camps and talking about like life, death, loss, our dads and all that. And then when after camp, we decided to continue with the trip. So we went to Asheville for a few days and I had no idea that my mom was sick. And my friend kept pushing me like, let's stay a few more days. Like, you don't have to get back to work. Let's keep going. Let's go to this this place to go hiking next. And he wanted to just keep pushing the trip longer and longer and longer. And I was like, probably deep down, I just wanted to get back to like, I've already taken off 10 days or so of work. It's time for me to get back to like real life. And when I got home, my mom was asleep. We got home like late at night. It was probably like midnight. I woke up and my uncle actually from Israel was was here as well. And I woke up in the morning before both of them. My uncle came downstairs. He's asking me like, how's camp? And then it was like nine o'clock. My mom still wasn't, she didn't come downstairs yet. So I didn't think though anything of it. I was just like, oh, like it's odd that she slept in, but so unlike her, like I was even surprised I was the first one to be up. And then she finally came down the stairs and told me, like she sat me down on the couch and told me that she was sick. And she promised me that it wasn't going to be like my dad's situation. And she was going to, and what she was just trying to say was, I'm going to live, you know, I'm going to live. I'm, even though I'm sick, I'm healthy. And whatever it was, whether it was just like already, I don't really have faith because of the experience with my dad. At first, I was in complete shock, like in the immediate, you know, in the immediate, I was in like complete shock where like I wasn't even able to cry because I was just trying to process. Then my mom kept telling me like, I think my mom was surprised because like I didn't even shed a tear initially. And then she just kept telling me it's it's okay to be sad about this. And then I just like imploded, you know. And then I let out all the waterfall with all the tears. And then I'd really say, you know, between the two months that she was sick, I was really depressed and life was absolutely terrible. Like anyone I'd speak to, there was only gray in the world. You know, I didn't see any, there was no reason to smile. Life was terrible. And really the time that she was sick, she went to the hospital. And then from the day she went to the hospital, she never left. So she was in the hospital for like two months. And that was hell because she had to undergo several surgeries and we were always trying to get her to treatment. We only got her to one treatment successfully, but it was like hell. She was in so much pain. They couldn't treat the pain. It was really torture. And I'd say that those experiences in the moment, your life changes because I'd say more so than anything, you don't see the lessons until you're sort of on the other side and then can look back in when it's not so painful. But in that moment, I think probably the hardest thing is that like the person you love the most is sitting right next to you and you want to help them, but you can't do anything to change the outcome of the situation. And I think also it's a weird, it's a weird dynamic between hope and like being realistic because on one hand, everyone says you have to remain hopeful and keep praying. And then on the other hand, you also need to balance the odds and the realistic circumstances that you may or may not be in. Let's say it was over a two-month course that my mom was sick, and it all happened so fast. But at first, I was very hopeful, like probably for the first like two weeks, you know? And then afterwards, I don't know what shifted in my head, but like just nothing was going right. And I think I started to Google her cancer, and I saw like how rare and terminal it was. So I gave up a little bit of hope where I said, okay, I need to just accept that this is my new reality. 
so I remember one day I went to the park with my uncle and he's, you know, like twice my age. And it's not like, you know, with my mom, I was very positive, but not positive. Like you're going to beat this. You're going to get through this. Just positive. Like I'm here for you. I love you so much. And my uncle, so we're in the park and my uncle is telling me we need to keep praying. We need to keep being hopeful. And I told him like enough, like what? Yeah, we can continue to be hopeful, but you need to also be realistic that this story doesn't end well. You know, there's no there's no happy ending to this story. My mom's going to die and nothing's going to change that. And I think also like when when I looked at the actual numbers, like the statistics, it's like if the chemo was successful, like maybe she's going to live a year, you know? So it's like with that, you sort of have to balance. That's also a weird thing that like I never thought about before uh, I had someone who's close to me who got sick with cancer. You know, like you can beat cancer by being, I don't know, sometimes the treatment, the goal isn't for you to get rid of the cancer. The goal is to extend your life and make sure you're as comfortable as possible. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. If the life expectancy is five years, it's if you live for eight, you beat it. Yeah, or even like, you know, sometimes with, with chemo and things like that, the goal isn't to get rid of the cancer. The goal is to make it like manageable and you're going to live instead of dying in a month, you're going to live for eight months and those eight months are going to be incredible. And I mean incredible in the sense that like those are months that you would otherwise not have. So I think that that was definitely something that was, you know, I guess eye opening in the experience. But going back to your question, like in those moments, the best way that I that I used to describe it and you brought up Dave 2.0 at the beginning of this. So I'll just go back to that is I sort of feel like when you live through a true adversity, such as something as great as like loss, like when my dad died, a piece of me died with him. But when I was on the other side of it, I had two choices. Like I could stay down there or I could rebuild the new version of me. And that's sort of exactly what I did, taking the experience and pulling the lessons that I feel I got from it and rebuilding like Danny 2.0. And when my mom died, you know, I feel like another piece of me died, but I rebuilt myself back up to Danny 3.0. And it's not to say that like those wounds or scars are are gone because they're still very much here. But going back to your question, like I am grateful for Danny 3.0, you know, and like because of what I've lived through, Danny 3.0 exists. And it doesn't need to be as specific to grief, obviously, because like it's kind of no different how you use Dave 2.0 in a professional setting because of this last year with COVID. Like if you're able to take those adversities and use the lessons from it. I think it's just such a, I don't know, powerful tool. Yeah. And, and that's where, like, to me, that's where it's a, that's where it's a lesson. Like your question and statement about you have 10 years to live or your, your mom has two years to live. You know, it's such a powerful lesson twofold because you go through the pain, you learn, you improve yourself and your view of the world after the person has died, you keep them in your memory right? You lose a piece of you, yet you continue to build your life and you're going to have a, you're, you personally going to have a beautiful life in front of you. Now you take the scenario of how you handled with your mom and your dad's death and death diagnosis, like diagnosis of like, they're going to die. Think of how you'll now handle that in the future. If other loved ones, not if, when, when you find that out, right? And the knowledge you have from your experience and how you handle that 
and how you handle yourself. I do think it's, it's the greatest teacher. I absolutely agree with that. And, you know, the thing is, you can look at your life that way now. You can look at it like your sisters and your fiance and me and your friends. Like, what if I knew they were going to die in two years? Yeah. How would I treat them? And that's that's the thing when about my like when I say that it's like it's about yeah how would I act how would I listen how would I be present how would I thank them those type of things so I think there's always that like what what could I say if they were still alive type of thing and and I think that plays into it yeah absolutely yeah I know for a while you were on the Goggins train but I feel like you and I are both I don't know I don't hate adversity you know like the suck sucks yeah. but like today I was at the beach with my dog and the ball was like in the ocean and I wanted to get the ball. So it didn't go away. And I took my socks off and it's like literally, I don't know, 20 something degrees outside. My feet were so numb. And I was like, damn, I, I'm just getting strong mindset right now. I need to get through this. This sucks. It was literally, it was freezing. My toes were, I couldn't feel my feet. But I mean, it, it is, you know, even pre Goggins, I've heard coaches and whatnot. That's how you learn. I mean, People fear adversity. They're, we're afraid of it. We don't. We sh- we shy from it at any cost. Yet it it really is life's greatest teacher. You get you get stronger through lifting weights, right? You lift. You go through the pain and adversity of lifting a weight, and then your muscle gets stronger, right? I mean, you go through the pain and adversity of sitting down in grad school and reading all these books so you can get a four and you're now you're smarter, right? You went through the pain and adver- I mean, that's how it is, man. That's how yeah. it is. I feel like. Whenever I get too comfortable, like this, this is something that I feel like I learned recently. It's time to like shake things up and roll the dice and get a little uncomfortable because when you're comfortable, it's like, that's, I really feel like that's when you stop striving to, to grow. You really stop. If you're too comfortable, you just sort of are sitting there and enjoying yourself as opposed to like pushing yourself to become a better version of yourself. It's it's even funny how you said Dave 2.0, like we're, Maybe you thought you were at Dave 2.0 before COVID. You're like, oh, I'm getting all these gigs. But maybe now, like, this is really 2.0. Like, you've just built up the new Dave that's going to be a complete beast. What I learned from some of the anxieties and stuff that I had prior to the pandemic is shit can be good, too. Again, dude, I mean, I'm getting – Sunil would love this, right? I'm getting so into meditation. I love it. But it's like, man, I was really hard on myself for like a couple of years when shit was actually good. Like shit can be tough. Like shit can be tough, right? So it's like, <laughs> let's use it, but let's enjoy. And again, it's about being present, right? Like let's enjoy when it's good too. So yeah, man, thanks. I, I hope so. I hope I learned a lot even from the, just this call, some of the things you were saying about like grieving certain things that I, I'm trying to grieve in my life right now and like putting them behind me and like, building yeah one other thing i guess so i just texted you this and i don't know we're just rambling here at this point but i don't know if i heard this on another podcast but i wrote this down like maybe a year ago when i saw someone write this if you can make choices or make decisions to change it's an inconvenience not a problem the day you can't make a choice because of cancer or an injury that's when you have problems. And I just love that because it like puts things into perspective where it's like, dude, like, I don't know, everything's good today. You know, like, even though like, we're in some shitty situation. I mean, dude, just on the, like, you're, you're, you're so right. And I would say 90% 90 of the time I'm on that train of thought, 10% of the time I get a little like, 
oh, but it's still like it still sucks. But yeah, dude, I mean, here's a great example, right? Like I woke up this morning and I started to work from the house and I was like, I'm cold. Like it's a little cold in here. And then like I texted this friend and they were like, oh, I had no heat last night in my apartment. I slept in eight layers of clothing and eight blankets because there was no heat. And then you text a friend in Austin and they're like, yeah, we haven't had heat in three days. And, you know, and like, there's just like, because of the snowstorm and the power outage. So like, there's just like a really simple real world example of like, oh, okay. So like, it's not that cold. <laughs> like you bring it back to yourself. You're like, I guess I'm not that cold. <laughs> yeah. Like I'm all good. <laughs> like I, I slept without a shirt on last night on the one blanket. Like, it, you know what I mean? Like, I guess I'm not that cold. <laughs> I love it's, that. It's such a great Where? lesson. And like, you literally always do need to be grateful. And I'm not like a huge fan of like somebody has it worse, but there's something in there. Yeah. Somebody always does have it worse. But that, so. that often was said to us. Like, I think why I reject that a little is there was, I think there's a little bit of like, especially in early in the two thousands before there was great things like experience camps, people didn't know how to like grieve the death of a parent, let alone like how to teach those kids friends. So I think there was a little bit of like, well, don't be mad about your B minus because like Dave's dad died. And it's like, I think there needs, there needs to be some balance, right? Like we can still be upset about things, but it, it is a good teacher of like, I think that cold, the cold thing was pretty good, right? It's like, I'm cold. I was like, oh, they're really cold. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, and I don't mean to laugh at it. It's, it's sad, but it's equally true that like. Do you ever meditate and close your eyes and like think back to when you're on like a Broadway stage? And being like, wow, that was some crazy life I was living. You know, I have been watching Key and Peele recently. That's been the one that's got me. Like I'm watching, I'm watching Keegan on comedy. I'm like, I'm like, I'm like sitting here laying in bed. I'm like, this is crazy. Like I'm watching this dude and we like perform together. Like, (laughs) so that one has got me, but I'm trying to adopt the mindset of like, I'm, I'm grateful for that, but I'm on to like, I'm on to my next challenge, right? Like, what would you say has been the single biggest lesson from the last 365 days that you're going to take in Dave 2.0? That you're going to carry with you in Dave 2.0? Humility. How so? Oh boy, this is tough. You're you're <laughs> getting good at this, Danny. You're going to get me to say some shit that's good. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I'm hoping you're to do. You're getting good at this, bro. <laughs> I don't like to admit it, but there was an element of like. In my mind, there was an element of like, you know, humility and insecurity are, they're twins. We look, we often look at them, sorry, arrogance and insecurity. We often look at them as their opposite ends of the spectrum, Like One person's arrogant, but it's a circle. <laughs> they're like, or whatever, you know, they're like, they're really right next to each other, you know? Mm-hmm. So while I didn't think I was like the shit for doing these cool things in New York, I definitely was like, I couldn't fathom this life. Like the idea of like living at home was like, oh, like, but it's like, no, dude. Yeah. Like you get to do some cool gigs. You live a really cool life. You're, you work really hard and you deserve it. But like, you're just this person. Like you're just a fucking regular guy. Like we're all regular people. Like you could just like that be living at home and there's nothing wrong with that either. You know what I mean? The people that are coming to see these shows come from home, <laughs> home, right? So like, you know, I think humility and you know me, it was not like I'm some cocky guy, but like humility in my 
approach. Like I had this anxiety that it, like I was so afraid of losing the gig and losing the opportunity and having this person not like me. And, and like what I've learned from this year is to approach it with a lot more humility. Like, like it's bigger than me. Like the music is bigger than me. The opportunities are bigger than me. Like I'm just a guy. I'm just a guy who gets to go on a cool ride of life. And I've like found myself in a cool niche and I hope it continues. But like, I'm no better than anybody else. I'm like, I'm no better than anybody or anything. Yeah. I hope I illustrated that properly. Yeah, absolutely. Because I, I don't want to allude to the fact that I was cocky prior to the pandemic because I wasn't. It's more like what I've learned is it's just humble pie. You know, this was just humble pie, dude. I mean, you're, you're making hundred grand a year as a professional musician in New York, like playing the coolest gigs in the world, like with the coolest people living your life, single guy in New York city, like, come on, man, you know, I you got your own apartment. And then like, like that you're living at home, you're in a basement, you're staying on a couch, you're staying on a friend's couch. You got no income. You got no, you know, a humble pie, but in a good way, obviously, like it was very humbling. And, um, that humbleness and, um, appreciation, I think go hand in hand, right? Like really enjoy it. Really enjoy it. No more anxiety, like be grateful, humble and enjoy it because you don't know, like it could be taken away from you. Be mindful. be mindful. Well, I think this might be a perfect point to uh, wrap up the show with that lesson on. Dude, this humble. was um, such a uh, dude. I feel like another great one. This was awesome. <laughs> well, yeah, this, this was, this was a fun one. Anything else you want the listeners to know? No, I don't think so. I mean, look out, look out for, look out for music in 2021, man. We're coming back. Thanks so much for tuning in to another episode of Bits of Gold Podcast. If you like this episode, please take a minute, share with a friend, leave a review, subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. It will mean the world. With that, have an amazing, amazing rest of the week. I love your podcast. This is gold. This is where it's at. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.